Mike Brown challenged everyone. He has like this little this metric sheet and guys are on and, and he's challenging guys every day. This is the Golden State Warriors podcast. And now your host, the voice of the Warriors, at Warriors Vox, Tim Roy. Hey, it's the Warriors podcast. I, Tim Roy, on the road with the Golden State Warriors as I tape this. The Warriors started the road trip in Charlotte. It was not the kind of night they would have wanted, but lessons to be learned there and things they can build upon coming into the rest of the road trip, which features a couple of tough games now in Brooklyn and Cleveland and, of course, finishing up with Cade Cunningham and the Detroit Pistons. While the Warriors were in Charlotte, I sat down with Warriors associate head coach Mike Brown to get his thoughts not only on this year's squad, but about his life and coaching and the lessons he has learned. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Mike Brown. Tell me what you like most about the, the way the Warriors are playing right now. Well, I, I think there's a, uh, the group is really connected, and you, know, you felt that from day one. Steve's done a fantastic job of uh, getting these guys all on the same page and uh, having one vision. And then our, our, our veteran leaders have stepped up and uh, played their part. And so to see the group uh, being connected like they are uh, is extraordinary, extraordinarily uh, beneficial for everybody and, and fun to be a coach of that group. So, uh, And then the last thing, I, I think the guys, they all try to do what you ask them. So when you, when you have those two things, this early in the season when you're still learning and growing as a unit, uh, you're able to uh, win some games that you may or may not supposedly should have won. When you look at the depth of this team and you add guys like the Mindy Bielitsa and you add up a player like Otto Porter Jr. and then you've got Gary Payton the second, I mean, you add players who can, who can play and know what they're doing out there, how much of a difference is that? Well, it, it's, it's a huge difference when you, when you have that depth, but uh, like I said, you can have depth. Um, you can have talented players because uh, I've been a part of those types of teams with everybody's not connected uh, as a unit with the one common goal and trying to do uh, what what you ask them to do as as a group. Then you won't have uh, the success that you think you should have. So again, the, the depth is a, it's an added pleasure. Uh, you know, we got length. We have shooting. We have. Uh, guys that are intelligent and great feel for the game. There are a lot of different types of players that we have uh, that you can choose from and throw out on the floor. But uh, that connectedness that the group has, has right now is, is something special this early in the season. I know it's not in your title, but you are the defensive coordinator now. Uh, to tell me, uh, w- did you expect the team to be this good this early? I'm, I'm only the defensive coordinator when we're playing well defensively. <laughs> Uh, when we're not, uh, it goes to CD, Chris DeMarco. So let's get that out there right now. <laughs> no, you know, no, I did not. Uh, we don't have a lot of quote-unquote great individual defenders, when you think about it, that are in our top nine or ten uh, guys when it comes to rotations. Guys you know, get looked upon uh, traditionally in this league as not strong one-on-one defenders. And so for us to uh, be successful defensively, we have to do it as a unit. We have to have five guys on a string, five guys defending the ball, but everybody has to be on the same page, not only with one another out on the floor, but with, with our rules all the time to make up for uh, some of the deficiencies we may have when it comes to individual defenders. And so I, I thought it would take some time um, you know, to, to be a, 
a good defensive team. Uh, I for sure did not think uh, we'd be ranked number one, quote-unquote, this early in the year. When you guys look at a, a situation and decide to mix it up and go zone, what, what, what are you trying to do there? Well, you, you know, you try to uh, disrupt the rhythm of our opponent. You know, you, I don't really like going zone or playing boxing one uh, unless we sort of have to. And, and sometimes these guys, uh, everybody's in the NBA. If you're in the NBA, you have at least one or two pretty good, if not great, skill sets. And so guys are going to get hot. Guys are going to be in a rhythm. And you may have to try to change it up defensively to try to get them out that rhythm. And that could mean double teaming the ball aggressively. It can mean going to a zone. That can mean, mean going to a jump zone with a boxing one or a triangle and two. And so it's more of a gut feel that, that I have when calling those types of defenses. And like I said, mainly just to disrupt the rhythm of what our opponent is currently in. Mike, let's go in a little bit of a different direction now. Why, why do you think you became a coach? And if you weren't a coach, what do you think you'd be doing? I, you know, that's a great question. Uh, if I wasn't a coach, I, I actually was on my way to law school. My younger brother played five years in the NFL, and I knew he was going to have an opportunity at a young age. And so I wanted to go to law school so I can have my law degree and, and also – uh, represent him as an agent in case I wanted to dab and dabble into that field, um, and you know I, I kind of fell into coaching. Uh, I got an internship with the Nuggets, and next thing you know, I, I took it, and I was on a on a fast track to be a coach. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm glad it turned out this way because I really enjoy it. Uh, but if I wouldn't have gone to law school, I, I think one of the best jobs in the world is, is extremely underrated is a UPS driver in a great location. I could see myself being a UPS driver in a beach town someplace, you, you know, doing my route in shorts, got nobody hovering above my head, and then going to grab a great lunch, and when my day is over, I'm going home. What can Brown do for you? <laughs> there we go, baby. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny, though. There is, there is satisfaction to go with coaching. What, what, when are you really satisfied as a coach? Not, not the wins and losses part. I, and I, I tell this to a lot of young coaches, when you're, you know, when you're trying to help a, a group of guys uh, become a unit or become one, and you get to a point where you don't have to talk much because they know inside and out what the system should be, and when they screw up, mess up, however you want to call it, they're able to coach themselves or each other so that they're ready to do it right the next time. When when you, when you when you get to that point, to me, that's the most satisfying thing as a coach that, that you can ask for. Coaches are hired to be fired, and you've been a head coach in this league and a very successful head coach in this league. The first time you got let go, how difficult was it, and, and, and how long did it take you for to understand this is just part of the deal? I, you know, what made it easy for, for, for me is just knowing all the other great coaches out there that have gotten let go. And that puts it in perspective. I, I, this is a crazy story. That I'll never forget this, but Greg Popovich is one of the most successful coaches ever in San Antonio. And there, there are a couple of people in San Antonio that have said to me before, man, they need to let Pop go. You should take over. You, he doesn't know that. He doesn't know that. And he still continues to win championships. And so I always tell myself, if – people that are in sports in the media can criticize Greg Popovich then 
I for sure can be criticized by everybody and anybody. So, uh, you know, you, you, you take incidents like that. Uh, again, you see other great coaches get fired, and it helps you put it in perspective when it comes time to moving on because sometimes the fit just runs out or they, the group needs to hear a new voice or, you know, maybe you as a coach don't get along with management anymore. Who knows what it can be. But you just kind of pick yourself up and – and uh, take a little time off to reflect on what you did and didn't do or how things could have turned out differently and, and get ready for the next one. I know you've told the story before, but before you came to the Warriors, Greg Popovich did something for you, reached out to you when you were after you had been let go as a head coach. What, what did that mean and, 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 and relate that story, if you would? Uh, well, Pop, is he literally is like a father figure to me. Um, you know, I, <clears throat> he's done a lot not only for my – my basketball career, uh, but 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 also for me personally, you know, everybody has personal issues that they go through in life, and and I tell you what, probably seventy percent of the time that I've uh, been down about something, even personally, I've turned to Pop, and he's helped lifted me up, uh, me and my the rest of my family up. So uh, he he really holds a special place in my heart. But uh, I, I'll never forget, I you know, I got fired in in Cleveland and. I wanted to take some time off. I was going through a divorce and some other things. And, and so I, I, I took that first year off. I was taking a second year off. And I, you know, I had some people uh, offer me you know, an assistant coaching position, but I just wasn't quite ready to get back into it because I wanted to hang around my two boys a little bit more. And I'll never forget, Steve, uh, before Steve called me, Pop calls me up and he, he says, he calls me Mikey, just like my mom. I, I think they're the only two people in the world that call me Mikey. It's like, Mikey? Steve Kerr's about to call you. He's going to offer you a job. You better take that damn job. And then I, I wanted to say, but, and it was a click. He was gone. <laughs> he just hung up. And so I was like, I was like, I got no other choice. <laughs> so when Steve called, it, it obviously worked out, and, and here I am now. But uh, he's been in my corner uh, forever, and, and I love that man uh, more than anybody else. So, well, almost more than anybody else. I love him to death. I, I know that you have. Uh Opportunities you you can be a head coach in this league. Everybody knows that. Why? What, what do you like about this Warriors situation for for Mike Brown? I, it, first of all, I, I love the Bay. The Bay Area is fantastic. The people there are great. Uh, the city's unbelievable. Uh, you know, but but it's it, when it comes time, uh, it's at least to the point in time in in your career at the age that I am. It's about being with good people, and you know, you, you start from the top. You start with ownership. Uh, you know, Joe and Peter and the rest of the owners, uh, Bob and his staff. Uh, but for me, the guy that I deal with on a day-to-day basis, more importantly, Steve. I mean, I, I I knew Steve back when I used to be his coach. He was a player. <laughs> I was his coach. and I Actually, he was my guy I warmed up before the game. So, uh, you know, when, when you're around great people or good people, and then the rest of the staff too, but when you're around great people uh, and the players are great human beings throughout the basketball part, that is, there's something just gratifying about wanting to come to work, work every day, and now you couple that with the way we we can win and and the level that we can win at. This situation for me is perfect at my stage at this particular stage in my career, and you know I definitely would like to be a head coach again, and and hopefully that opportunity comes up. But I, I right now I'm. I'm in, in my dream job. This is this is the most fun I've ever had coaching, and that 
includes me being a head coach someplace else too. Uh, I, I, you know, I'd like to add one more zero to my paycheck being a head coach, but <laughs> uh, Joe, uh, Bob, uh, uh, but you know, I, I couldn't ask for anything more than the situation that I'm in right now, including talking to you, Tim Roy. Uh, thank you, Mike. Hey, before we let you go, a couple things. Uh, one, why do you think uh, San Diego has such a great coaching pipeline? It all starts with the godfather, Bernie Bickerstaff. Uh, it, he he actually uh, was the one back in the day that got me an internship. He was the he was the general manager of the Denver Nuggets when Hank Egan, who was my right. college coach, called yeah. him and asked if I can do an internship in the summertime. And Bernie didn't know me from Adam. He just knew that I had played at USD, and he said the young fella can come out here at the time. You can be an intern without getting paid. And <laughs> and uh, so I came out there for a summer and. And next thing you know, obviously he offered me a job as a video guy, and I didn't know anybody else. So every time I had an opportunity to hire an intern or something like that, it was always a USD guy. And then when those guys went and got jobs, they tried to hire USD guys, and and uh, it, and it turned out that way. And yeah, you know, uh, probably ninety nine point nine percent of it is because if not high, probably a hundred percent. Let's say a hundred percent of it is because none of us can play. So you know, we, we, just, we just go to the next best thing, which is try to be a coach. And so we can say we're in the NBA. <laughs> and there's a handful of us. We try to take care of one another, look after one another. But again, if you go to USD, eh, you're probably not going to play in the NBA, but you will work in the NBA someday. <laughs> and finally, uh, give us the update on your boys who have uh, gone into sports, albeit not all basketball. I, yeah, I, you know, just like you, you, Timmy, I mean, you know, when you have kids, you, you just want them to be uh, successful in anything that they do. And, and that doesn't mean financially or being at a certain level, just they're doing something that they enjoy. And my oldest son, and he's playing uh, in the French Pro A League right now, um, having fun. It's the highest level he's ever been uh, to. So he's in France right now playing pro ball. And then my youngest son, he plays uh, professionally. He played professionally in Austria last year. Yeah, I didn't even know they had American football in Austria. But their seasons are not, they don't line up with our seasons here when it comes to the football in the U.S. So he currently is a volunteer assistant coach. He coaches the defensive line at Case Western Reserve University where he played. And and he's enjoying it too. So uh, it, it's fun to talk shop with him. And, and you know, he asked me, well, how can I motivate guys after a loss? And how can I do that? How can yeah. I do that? And I ask him questions too. I can learn from him. So uh, they're both in a good place right now enjoying what they do. Mike, it's always a pleasure. I appreciate your time and, and uh, continued success, and we love having you as part of the Warrior family. Well, I appreciate you, and I appreciate being here, so thank you, Timmy. Through the first part of the season, the Warriors have the top-ranked defense, and Mike Brown is calling the shots on that side of the ball for Golden State, and the Warriors are lucky to have him on Steve Kerr's coaching staff. Now, of course, as you know, we're celebrating 75 years of Warriors basketball, and there have been very few Ivy Leaguers who have made it into the NBA. The Warriors had one for a couple of years. Let's learn more about the only player in Warriors history that commuted to practice and games from Southern California. That's right, he did. His name is Rudy LaRusso. It's time for 75 years, 75 stars, as we celebrate 75 years of Warriors basketball in the NBA. Tonight we look at the rare NBA player from the Ivy League. Rudy LaRusso graduated from Dartmouth was drafted by the Minneapolis Lakers with a 12th pick overall in the 1959 draft. 
he would stay with the Lakers through their move to the West Coast and through the midway point of the 1967 season when he was traded to Detroit. LaRusso and his wife were expecting a child, so he refused to report to the Pistons. The very following year, the Warriors acquired his rights with a very unusual arrangement. Here's a conversation I had years ago with Rudy and Al Adels. I was committed to practices, exactly. See, Rudy was actually the forerunner of what is going on in the league now. He was allowed to come in and go. We, we scheduled our practices around Rudy. Well, you know, the great thing about that was that in two years of commuting, actually mostly on PSA, which PSA doesn't exist anymore, I missed maybe three practices exactly. or so and never missed a game. Uh, and then when I missed them, that was because it was fog in the Bay Area and they couldn't land and they circled around. And by the time I got off the plane, it was practice was over. So I just got back on the plane and went back to Los Angeles. <laughs> That's right, LaRusso was living in Los Angeles and commuting to practices and to games. It did not affect his play. In fact, in his first year of the Warriors, he averaged over 21 a night, pulling down nine rebounds and helped San Francisco to a first-round playoff win over St. Louis, despite the fact that Nate Thurman was unable to play because of an injury. Team bonded, you know what I mean? We really felt... uh... Somewhat, of course, shorthanded without Nate, but you know sometimes that spurs a team to greater heights. You know they feel like they have to play that much harder and overachieve that much more, and I think that's what happened in that playoff, and uh, was a result of really a mental uh, preparedness that we had. And and and, and I give really uh, Bill Sharman a tremendous amount of credit. He's probably the greatest coach that ever coached in the NBA, and he was probably the, the finest coach I ever played for in the NBA as well. The Warriors would lose in the next round. And the following season, under new coach George Lee, the Warriors finished 41-41 and on the season. LaRusso averaged 20 points and 8 rebounds for the campaign. And they did put a scare into a loaded Los Angeles Lakers squad in the first round. In Game 1 on the road, LaRusso was 11 for 21 from the field. He would finish with 32 points and 7 rebounds as the Warriors won 99-94. to In Game 2, LaRusso, 29 points and 17 boards. Nate Thurman had 27 and 28, and the Warriors won 107-101. to Yeah, we won both those games in the forum. In the forum, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that was, uh, and then we dropped four in a row, as I recall. Yes, right. <laughs> well, personally, I was exhausted. Personally, I was physically uh, drained, and, and I, you know, and I, I was like, I don't know, I just, uh, when we got to the sixth game and so forth, mentally we were now, you know, even or going down, and, you know, it was tough to pick yourself up mentally as well, but I don't know, and probably that that feeling then was probably when I, you know, after consideration of that feeling was that I decided to retire, it, and at that point, but I mean, you know, I felt like I couldn't give it the full effort Right, you know, right down to the last game because I was uh, really somewhat, uh, somewhat tired. So Rudy would retire at the age of 31. In his two years with the Warriors, he averaged 21 points and nine rebounds. He was a five-time All-Star. He made the All-Defensive Team as a Warrior in 1968-69, and by our unofficial count, he must have led the NBA in nicknames with monikers like the Ivy Leaguer with muscles, Deuce. Musty, Honey Boy, Brutus, and Roughhouse Rudy. Rudy LaRusso, 75 years, 75 stars. This has been 75 Years, 75 Stars. 
I'm having a lot of fun with our 75-year, 75-stars program. Thanks to R.C. Davis for putting that together. Thanks for James Kincaid for slapping together the podcast. I'm Tim Roy, and listen to the Warriors podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to go back and listen to previous editions, including a conversation with the young glove Gary Payton or a preseason conversation with Jordan Poole. It's all right here. I'm Tim Roy reminding you to join me next time on the Warriors podcast.